All right. Cool. So. Oh, that's Kinley's ready. She is. She is. I like it. Um, so today we're going to talk about healthy biblical confrontation. And the point of this teaching is not to make your brother and sister feel bad. Okay? Uh, and honestly, the point of this teaching is really to give us some practical steps in confronting our brothers and sisters one-on-one, which is the first step of Matthew 18, which we're going to look at. Um, I'm going to try to be as informative as possible and try to be as practical as possible. And anything that you guys have extra questions about after that, uh, we'll get into. However, when I was praying about this and when I was writing this, God told me specifically to be hopeful Which means, if you're going to go and confront your brother one-on-one, and you're being hopeful about it, hopefully you won him over, you don't have to bring in anybody else. So tonight, we're going to, in the teaching, I'm going to be strictly addressing that. However, if you guys have had bad experiences and have questions about it, I'll give you guys a chance to ask the questions and we'll talk about it a little bit. Is that cool? Yeah. Cool, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Dad, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for how good you are. I thank you for how great worship was. Uh, I thank you for everybody who's here. I thank you for everybody who's not here, who's going to be listening to this later on. Um, You know, I know some people have had really long weeks and just were too tuckered out to be here and needed to take the time to love themselves and just rest. And that's okay. That's a very godly thing. And so we just bless them in that. And uh, I thank you for your word and what your word says about confrontation. We just give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, who wants to read for me? Anybody want to volunteer? Who's tribute? To read? Yeah. All right, uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 22 is where we're going to start. And then I need somebody to read me Matthew 5, verses 21 through 25. All right, Cameron, go. 18, 15 through 22? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If your fellow believer sins against you, you must go to that one privately and attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship is restored. But if his heart is closed to you, you can go to him again, taking one or two others with you. You'll be fulfilling what the Scriptures teach, teaches when it says, Every word may be verified by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen, then share the issue with the entire church in hopes of restoration. If he still respond, if he still refuses to respond, disregarding the fellowship of this church family, you must disregard him as though he were an outsider on the same level as an unrepentant sinner. Receive this truth: whatever you forbid on earth will be considered to be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will be considered to be released in heaven. Again, I give you an eternal truth: if two of you agree to ask God for something in a symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. For wherever two or three come together in the honor of my name, name I am right there with them. Cool. You want me to go 22? Is that what you said? Or 20? Uh, 22. 22. Yeah. Uh, later, Peter approached Jesus and said, How many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer if he keeps sinning? Seven times? Jesus answered, Not seven times, Peter, but 77. 70 times seven. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, so, a lot to unpack. We're going to unpack it in a little bit. 
Um, but these, these are monumental verses for how to approach people, how to treat people rightly, and honestly, how many times you're meant to forgive. Um, we've talked about this in the past. There are several verses in the New Testament where Jesus makes a very outright blunt statement, if you do not forgive, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Um, and so forgiveness is a big thing. Bitterness is a big block to any blessing that you want in your life. Um, so Nina, why don't you read Matthew 5, verses 21 through 25 for me? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Cool. Alright, so, by examining these two sets of scriptures, there, there are two things that I want you to take away from this. Is that, one, um, if your brother or your sister is doing something silly and needs to be corrected, and nobody's doing it, and you feel like you're the only one noticing it, you're probably supposed to be the one to correct them. Um, or just pray for them if you have a lot of fear you need to work through, which is something we're going to be talking about later. However, um, it's our job to correct someone um, or to approach somebody and confront them in a healthy matter if they have sinned against us in the sense that they've done something extreme to hurt us, right? Or maybe it's not extreme. They've just hurt us by something they've said or something they've done. In the second set of verses in Matthew 5, uh, it's saying that if you are going to worship the Lord, if you're going to bring your gift of worship to Him, and you realize that someone has something against you, you have to approach them as well. It's not just, they've hurt me, so I need to approach them. No, it's, oh my gosh, somebody... Somebody has something against me because they think I've done something wrong. I have to go fix things with them too. Okay? And even before that, it, it goes as far as to say, if you call your brother a fool, if you're angry with him, then you've committed murder in your heart already. That's like an extreme standard. But it's a standard that through the power of grace we're able to fulfill. Because what the law requires, grace empowers us to do. Okay? So those are our two staples for this teaching. Those are our two, like, we're going we're gonna to throw our, 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 our flags in the sand, and this is where we're going to stand. This is our ground now. We're going to push forward in this, because in this series where we've been growing closer as a community, and as, as we've been getting to know each other, we've, we've talked about all kinds of different things to, to address ourselves. Um, but now it's time to kind of start turning and looking outward. Okay. Uh, later on this year, we want to start really trying to figure out how we can help the community around here. My wife had some great ideas. We've got a, an elementary school that probably needs people to oversee lunches and help, help over there. We've got a fire station down here who volunteer. Like, those guys just work their tails off, you know, like they're firemen. They're, they're doing like week-long shifts. And then we've got an old folks home down there too, not to mention, you know, two or three blocks down the street, somebody got shot several weeks ago and, and died. So, like, it's not that this is a dangerous area. Things like that are few and far between. However, if all we do is stay in here because we're afraid to confront what's out there, 
there's a problem. And if we're afraid to confront what's out there, chances are we're afraid to confront what's in here. Jesus' holiness was so good and so powerful that it spread outward. His holiness brought people in. It wasn't something that sinners were like, no, I don't want to be around that. He was so good to them that they were drawn to him. And if people like that aren't being drawn to us by our love, then we're doing something wrong. I was talking to a friend of mine um, the other day at this wedding, and he's he's like a he's like a three point Calvinist, which um, is another thing entirely. This is a new attitude. This is a new me. I've repented of a lot of the bitterness I've had towards the Calvinist doctrine, and I'm able to have civilized conversations now. And one of the things that we agreed on is Jesus said that the outside world will know us by our love for each other. Because our love is supposed to produce a family atmosphere. And a family atmosphere is not something the world knows anything about. In fact, the world, through the devil's devices, is trying to undermine the concept of family and tear the concept of family apart. And so in order for us to stay grounded and stay where God is, we have to keep the concept of family coming together, whether we're blood-related or not, alive. Because through the covenant of Christ, we're all brothers and sisters now. Alright, so... Today, unpacking this idea of healthy biblical conversation, this is an extremely sensitive topic, and I'm not surprised that there are more people here than normal. (laughs) Um, And it's a little difficult to unpack, but it's not difficult in the sense that it's hard to explain. It's difficult in the sense that it's hard to put into practice because of our emotions. And the thing about our emotions is that oftentimes our emotions are being manipulated by our enemy, and they get in the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) however we are called to confront the enemy his plans his thoughts and how they manifest through our brothers and sisters on a regular basis Um, so let's let's talk about what confrontation really means I looked up the word confrontation in the Webster's Dictionary because I couldn't find the word confrontation in the Bible So I had to go to another form to get my definition. Um, So the Webster's Dictionary defines confrontation as a face-to-face meeting or the clashing of forces or ideas. Right? Um, So when we confront someone about something they're doing, we're confronting them with God's heart and His ideas in mind. Okay? Um... (laughs) We're clashing in order to destroy the devil's ideas and how they influence our brothers and sisters. Um, For those of you guys who have been here since the beginning of the year, Matt taught on separation. It's on our podcast. If you've never heard that teaching, go listen to it. Separating people from their sin is a huge portion of this. Okay? Because Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, which are human beings, right? Everyone in this room is flesh and blood, correct? So our battle is not with each other. It's never supposed to be with each other, okay? But it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Looked up the definition for all of those words in the Blue Letter Bible. They all basically just mean demons. Okay, it's a hierarchy of demons. And so, when we're clashing, when we're confronting things, we're not confronting the flesh and blood. We're confronting the ideas that the enemy 
is throwing at our brothers and sisters and how they're influencing them. Okay? Um, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6, it states that the weapon of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical, right? They're not things you can hold in your hand. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They cast down imaginations or thought patterns, which is what we're confronting, right? And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and, and our weapons bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ so that we have a readiness to revenge all disobedience. All right? Mouthful of verses. So what does this all mean? Glad you guys asked. It means... <laughs> it means that if someone has a problem that needs to be confronted, we must make sure that our hearts are in the right place so that we don't treat them like a project or treat them like the problem itself. It means that the person isn't the issue. The lie and the spirit behind the lie is the issue. Okay? So, a lot of people... When they get angry at sin, really what they're saying is they're angry at a person. Do you know how you know they're angry at a person? Righteous anger is never directed at a person. It's always directed at the lie or the enemy's influence over the person. If your anger is directed towards a human being, especially those who are in the kingdom of God, your brothers and sisters and not directed at the thing that's influencing them, then you're automatically in the wrong because you've already fallen hook, line, hook, hook, line, and sinker for the enemy's tactics against you so that you fall into accusation and judgment and bitterness against them rather than going into your prayer closet and battling the enemy on their behalf. We talked about this when we were talking about the intro to community months ago when the Bible says... That the enemy comes to accuse the brethren, is how most people misquote it in Revelation. It doesn't actually say the brethren, it says our brethren. If the enemy is influencing our brethren, then we need to take ownership of our family and go to war for them. Does that make sense? That's good. Alright, so what does the Bible say about confrontation besides the verses that we looked at earlier? How does it work? And where do we start? I'm glad you guys were wondering this, because these are all great questions to ask. Um, this shows me that you guys are learning how to think and not just what to think. So let's go to Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. Um, it's a good one. They're all good ones. Luke 17 verses 3 through 4 say, Take heed to yourselves. If a brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns again to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It's pretty straightforward, right? It basically covers a lot of the things we've been talking about over the past several months. However, there's, there's one thing that I want you to take away from this verse when it comes to healthy biblical confrontation. All right? The first thing these set of verses says is, take heed to yourselves. 
I'd like to propose to you that confronting your brother is only secondary to confronting yourself and making sure your heart is right on the matter. The phrase, take heed in the Strong's Concordance, which is G4337, if you want to look it up, means to turn the mind to, attend to, or be attentive to oneself. So if you're going to confront someone in the wrong heart motive, well, you're wrong. <laughs> like, let's just, be, let's just be frank. You guys be frank. I'll be Ronnie. You're wrong. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your family. Dishonor on your cow. You're in the wrong. Um, Jesus in this passage is stating <laughs> that we must make sure we are in the right before addressing the trespasses of our brothers. And that means that we come to an understanding um, that my brother is not their sin. My brother or my sister is not the thing that they're struggling with and I don't have to treat them like they are the problem. Does that make sense? And if I'm bitter because of something they've done to me or done against me or even done to something someone else, I need to get my bitterness straight in my heart and get that spirit of bitterness away from me before I even approach them. Because if I don't, I run the risk of coming to them in an anger that isn't righteous and doing more damage than I'm doing good. Um, so, it's a big deal. The way that we go about doing this is we make sure that we're coming from a place of love. Um, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, verses 4 through 8 are some of the best verses in the Bible because they're all just good. And more often than not, you hear them hear this set of verses at wedding at a wedding. Um, it says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not and it vaults not itself. It is not puffed up. Uh, it does not behave itself unseemingly. It does not seek her own. It is not easily provoked, and it thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Um... And it goes on to talk a little bit about prophecies and tongues and words of knowledge and those things falling away. Um, those things won't fall away until Jesus comes back for His second coming. Uh, but, the, but the thing about this is, as you go on to read the rest of the chapter, at the very end in verse 13, it says that uh, the greatest of anything that excuse me, could be going on in your life is, is love. So when you're going to your brothers and sisters and making sure that you're coming from a place of love, the first thing that we have to do is make sure that we're going to them and we're willing to be patient and suffer long. Because if there's something going on in their life that they're not aware of, like the whole thing about deception is that you don't know you're deceived. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be in deception. That's how that works, you know. 
So we have to be willing to suffer for a long time and be patient and kind with them as we start to address and help them unpack what's going on in their lives. Does that make sense? Um, And then after that, we have to make sure that we are not uh, envious of the breakthrough that they might be getting. You know, Um, we have to make sure that we're we're not going to them with the idea of bragging. You know, it's great to share testimonies, but you're helping someone else get their breakthrough when you're confronting them. You don't need to be bragging about what's going on in your life. You're there for them. Does that make sense? Um, It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. You know, it's not like, well, just get it together, pat on the back, and then leaves. It's help them through it, you know. Um, (laughs) And we'll we'll get to, when you're being confronted, we'll get to that later. We are going to talk about that. Um, but the, the biggest thing is making sure that that we are okay going to confront them. So there's a couple more things that I want to address when it comes to this because, oh no, what have I done? Um, because it, it is a big deal. The thing that keeps us away from being love, because God is love, right? Perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18 God is love, and we're made in His image and likeness. Which means, no matter how much we are in sin, we are all still capable of love. Period. Um, Even people who are not saved yet. God has enough mercy for them to experience love throughout their lives and give love even if it's not always the purest form of it. Okay? Um, So, the thing that gets in the way of love is fear, more often than not. Especially when it comes to confronting people. Fear of man is a huge, huge, huge issue. And we're going to talk about this. This is a big topic, and so I'm going to try to keep it simple to the three most common fears that come with confrontation. Or at least the three most common that come up when I'm talking to people about why they haven't talked to their brothers yet and why they're talking to me about it. Because more often than not, I don't want to be brought in unless you've already talked to them and you can't get through to them. So, just in case you guys are wondering, don't bring me into your drama. (laughs) I don't want to be a part of it (laughs) unless I absolutely have to be. (laughs) Um, So, the fear of confrontation itself is a huge deal. How many of you guys are scared to talk about the deep, dark, nitty-gritty things in your life? Mm Several people in the back were honest and raised their hands. I'm willing to bet that there are more people who are scared to talk about those things. And that's okay. You don't have to raise your hands. That's fine. However, if you're that scared to talk about your junk, how much more do you think someone else is scared to talk about theirs? Alright? And because of that, we get scared to confront them about their junk. Because we're scared of our junk, and then we're scared of their junk. So we're scared to talk about all of our junk. (laughs) So everybody just stays junky. And you don't ever get the pure orange juice. It's just full of pulp. It just stays there. I like pulp. I I do too. You're wrong. You're wrong. wrong. Alright. The point of this teaching is not to talk about orange juice. It was just a metaphor. Let's come back. Um, So... This this fear of the confrontation itself is pretty self-explanatory. And... More often than not, we fear confrontation because we don't want to be told we're wrong. 
whether I'm being confronted, if I'm being confronted, I don't want to be told I'm wrong. But if I'm the one confronting you, I don't want to be told I'm wrong either because I already think you're wrong. (laughs) I already think you're believing a lie from the enemy. So why would I want to be told if I'm coming to you about something that I think is an issue that I'm wrong, right? It's a big deal. We fear it because we don't know how to have a conversation about ideas and beliefs without bringing our pride into it. And we don't know how to talk about these things without being afraid of other people. But my hope is that through this teaching, that those fears won't have legs to stand anymore. Okay? The other thing is, this is number two, fear number two, big fear number two. Fear of another person's emotions, feelings, or reactions. I'll lump this fear together. It's a fear of three different things, however. I'll lump it together for the sake of this, because they're all super related. Alright? This is a huge fear that everyone has to face at some point. I don't care who you are. At some point, you've been afraid of somebody else's feelings, how they might react to something. There are even people in this room who have had, who have felt like they've been such a disappointment to the people around them that they're not just afraid of people's feelings anymore. They're actually afraid of, their fa- of another person's facial reactions and how they might react to what you're telling them. That is a huge deal. It all falls underneath the general fear of like fear of man, right? However, these are the little nitty gritty things that we don't always think about. The fact of the matter is that when we fear another person's feelings, emotions, or the way they might react to something, we turn them into our God. It's idolatry because our fear of them is coming before our holy reverence of the Father and that's why we won't go talk to them. Our fear of their feelings and their emotions ends up crippling us. And anything that cripples you Anything that you have to check with before doing what God has told you to do is an idol. It just is. And so the fact that you have to go, all right, well, whew, I better better get ready for their rejection. I better get ready for their emotions. No, don't, don't even think about that. All right? God has told you to go talk to them. You've prayed about it. What's there to fear anymore? God is on your side in it. And the great thing about it is, He's not just on your side in it, if you're in His will about the whole thing. He's also on the other person's side with it, because the other person is His son or daughter too. Um, We're so scared of how they may react, or or how we may hurt them with our words, that we end up not being able to help them at all. So I would like to propose to you that if you care, quote-unquote, that much about their feelings, that you really don't care about them at all. If you really care, quote-unquote, about their feelings that much, then you really don't love them at all. Um, The thing about love, and I liked Nina's post about this the other day, about church and community, um, is that love fights for the one that it loves. And so if the only thing you're thinking about is their feelings, their emotions, how they're going to react, you don't really love them. All you care about is making sure that you're pleasing them. 
Mm. <laughs> a lot of agreement in the back. Yep. Um, say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> I don't know if I could say it that eloquently. Uh, if you if you can't fight because of how much you care, quote unquote, then your caring isn't linked to actually loving the person. It's linked to fear. We have to love the person as a whole being. That means we love their spirit, we love their soul, and we love their body more than we, we care about their feelings, emotions, and reactions. And what I mean by that is we are first and foremost a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. All right? Our soul is in, in our soul, in and of itself, is our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. All right? So, and then we live in a body. But the most important part about our being is our spirit and our spirituality. And that's the thing the enemy is trying to rob us of. So you have to settle in your heart. If you love that person more than you love or care about their feelings, then you have to do yourself and them a service by going to talk to them. By confronting these ideas. Because the enemy is hindering their spirituality and it's becoming unhealthy. And God is coming back for a healthy body. He's also coming back for a healthy bride. And in Revelation it says the bride is responsible for washing herself for the wedding day. And if we're the bride, we have to make sure we're all clean. Um, so this doesn't mean... Okay, so hear me out. Because I know I just like hit that thing really hard. This, this doesn't mean that we aren't em- empathetic to where they are in their walk. Alright? Because we're all dealing with different things. We're all progressing differently. We all have different walks. We have to know where people are at. We have to know what God is doing with them. That's why community is so important. Yes. Um, however, it does mean that we would rather speak up in order to help save them from the pain rather being so scared of their feelings that we allow them to sit in the pain and become worse. We must settle in our hearts whether we truly love our brothers and sisters or not. And if we love them, then we must learn how to approach them. More on approaching them later. This is, again, we're, we're taking heed to ourselves, right? We've got to get ourselves straight. Um, so, the next biggest fear, and this is a huge one, that everybody deals with. Yes, Ryan. This is point three, yes. This is point three. This is fear three. Um, After this, can you recap the fears? Yes, I'll recap the fears. Cool. Um, this is a huge one. This this fear comes up in a lot of hyper-religious and legalistic circles. Um, and this is not something, this is not a fear that I would like us to tolerate. Okay? And this is the fear of the other person's sin. Well... Um, for a lot of this teaching I will be quoting this book it is called Culture of Honor it is by Danny Silk it is an amazing book I have three copies if you don't have it and you would like it I will give it to you Um, and all of our talks about honor and community we've pulled a lot from this book so if you want a summary, what is it, eight chapters? I think it's eight eight chapters. It's not long. 
of the very many, yeah, eight, of the teachings, the very many teachings we've done for the past three or four months and what we've been aiming towards, this is a great book for you. However, I will put a disclaimer on it. Many people, especially in Pentecostal and Charismatic circles, read the very beginning of this book where it talks about the fivefold ministry and it talks about the apostle and the prophet and the teacher, the evangelist and the pastor and how they all work together and then they think they know the entirety of the book. This book has nothing to do with the fivefold ministry. Oh, sorry. I got caught up talking. That book has nothing to do with the fivefold ministry as a whole. The book in and of itself is meant to teach us how to build a culture of honor where we begin to value each other for our differences and learn how to relate with each other despite them. This book teaches that we should see the image of God in a person first and foremost. And so I have many a quote that I will be sharing from this book. I will tell you when I'm quoting the book. Um, it is great, all eight chapters. It is, Nina will tell you by flipping through it, I have highlighted the majority of the book because of how good it is. Um, so, Danny Silk says, in reference to being, a, to being scared of a person's sin, he says, when we are afraid of other people's sin, it makes us crazy in the presence of sin. We are not ourselves, and we are not ourselves when we are dealing with the other person's mistakes. This weird thing happens to us, and as a result, we end up giving parenting and leadership in general a bad name. Do you know how many people are in counseling today because of damaging leadership interactions? There's a lot, trust me. <laughs> uh, it is all too familiar. It is an all too familiar experience for us as leaders to cooperate with a demonic plan motivated by the spirit of fear. When we are to when we confront when we are confronted with people's mistakes with something that we might not control right then and there in that moment. We become scared and we exercise authority in the wrong spirit. Then we project onto God the idea that he's just, af- just as afraid of sin as we are. But what exactly is God afraid of anyway? Nothing. That's exactly right. Nothing. He isn't afraid of anything because love casts out fear and he is love. He is love. If you aren't feeling the love when he's there, then something's wrong. Because that's Him. Love. When you're feeling fear, that's not Him. Sin doesn't need to be punished. It doesn't need to be controlled. It is not a powerful force. It's just that we don't believe it. It's easy to preach stuff, and it's another thing to live it. Alright? So that's the end of that quote. So basically... What I'm saying is all in all of this, through this quote and through everything else, when it comes to confronting people about their sins and being scared of sin, is that God is love. And His love casts out fear. And if He isn't afraid of your sin when He's dealing with you, then you don't have to be afraid of your sin either. And if He's not afraid of your sin when He's dealing with you, then why would He be afraid of somebody else's sin when He's dealing with them? And if he's not afraid of their sin, and he's not afraid of your sin, then why are we afraid of sin? 
We've been redeemed from it. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have power over it and be empowered out of it. But the thing that you fear is the thing that controls you. So if we're still fearing sin, wow. yeah. see where I'm going with this? But <laughs> since the fear is gone, hopefully through us revealing it and talking about it, right? Since fear is gone, we don't have to try to manip- manipulate other people or try to control them out of their sin. Good. Well, that's good. Wait, sorry, right? I was paying attention. That's okay. <laughs> if you're reading the book, you'll get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll say it again anyway. Uh, since the fear is gone, since we just, well, we just talked about it, we just shined a light on it, right? Hopefully it's gone now. We don't have to try to manipulate and control other people out of their sin. We just don't. Right? All we need to do is shine a light because we love them. So, when it comes to dealing with ourselves and the three biggest fears that I have found, there, there, there are more out there. And if we want to talk about more later when we get to a little bit of discussion, we can. But in order to confront someone, there are three basic fears that are important to get rid of. The first one is the fear of the confrontation itself. If God is love and love hopes all things like we just read, then that means we're supposed to believe that the confrontation is going to be good and it's going to end well because God's on your side and he's on the other person's side if if that person is a brother or sister in Christ, right? If God is for us, then who can be against us? You go to them to try to squash the enemy, the enemy gets squashed. There's nothing to be scared of, right? Fear of the other person's feelings, emotions, and reactions Don't make what the other person has your God. Because chances are, those feelings, emotions, and reactions are being manipulated by the enemy anyway. And there's no point being scared of him because he doesn't have power anymore. Right? And then, fear of the other person's sin in and of itself. You don't have to be scared of that because God's not scared of yours. And he's not scared of theirs either. That's a good thing. That's good news to me. Because, man, let me tell you, I used, to be, I used to be terrified of confrontations with people. Terrified. Nathan's not in his head yes, because he's been around for a long time with me. I'm sure Noah and Joe and Annie would have a lot to say about that as well. And even my wife, Kate, because I learned how to confront my fears of confronting other people before I learned how to confront my fears of... Well, confronting my wife. And that's another thing entirely that we can get into later on. But, you know. uh, (laughs) um, Still a big deal, right? So, uh, and even John Crawford, there's, man, John and I can tell you some stories. Um, He's back there smiling. Um, But anyway. If that's where you're at and you're learning to conquer those fears, that's okay. It's important that we learn how to conquer them together. And hopefully, throughout all the things that we've been talking about and doing, we're a close enough family to where if you need to confront someone in order to confront yourself by facing those fears, then you can do it. And there's mercy and there's grace for that, right? Um, Now, on to the actual confrontation. How does the confrontation go down? Well, the first thing that you have to understand, and this is a doozy, is that confrontation and conflict are not evil. 
In fact, when life has no conflict in it, it becomes boring and stale. And true peace can only be had when you have a victory. But victory can only be had when there's a conflict. And if God, through His Word, says that He causes us to triumph or have victory in all things, then that must mean He planned for us to have a lot of confrontations and a lot of conflicts. So there's a lot of stuff we got to go through on this side of eternity. But luckily, He's our... I mean, He's for us, so nobody can really be against us, right? Um... My spiritual dad used to say, man, if God is for you, who can be against you? But if you're out of the will of God and he's against you, then who do you think can be for you? So something deep and theological to think about. However, we're not going to get deep into that tonight. Let's look at confrontation in and of itself. Um, So once we've got our hearts right, we must confront our brothers and sisters. But how exactly is that done? I'm glad you guys asked. And I'm glad it wasn't in a Mickey Mouse voice like I typically do it. Uh, 100%. But maybe I'll bring him back later. No, don't do that. <laughs> um, let's go to Galatians 6. Uh, I'm going to read this in the King James, and then Cameron's going to read it for me. No, he's not, because he's holding a baby now. Uh, <laughs> hey, Monica, are you still reading the Passion Translation? Yeah. Will you open that up for me? You want me to give her... Alright, so Galatians 1, Galatians 6, chapter 1... Or, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 I'm all mixed up Uh, says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault you which are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted and then verse 2 says bear you one another's burdens so that you may fulfill the law of Christ I like that. That's good. Um, Monica, will you read it in the Passion Translation? Because I read it earlier today and I was like, gosh, this is so good. One and two? One and two. Okay. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one and we carry each other's troubles. Well, can I read the next one? <laughs> yeah, it says something completely different than the King James, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you're too important to speak down to help another, you're living in deception. That's still good. That's still good. I'll take it. <laughs> um, Alright. So this is this is important. I want to... I have a... Uh, what two one one quote about this passage, um, but before I get into that, I want to I want to break this down in in uh, conversations that I've had with the Holy Spirit. Um, if you see your brother overtaken in a fault or a trespass, trespass is a sin. You who are spiritual, you who are spiritual. If we're always waiting around for everybody else to get spiritual, then nothing's ever going to get done. So if you see the fault, and you've dealt with yourself, then you who are spiritual, 
need to address the other person's. This goes with bitterness and everything else too. Well, if they would just come and apologize to me, I could forgive them. No, God says forgive anyway. And if you're truly going to be the spiritual one, the one who's mature, then just do it. I was talking with um, some of my mentors earlier today. Uh, Cameron and Kate were there. We were having a good old time. And uh, Miss Deborah was telling a story, and she said, well, you know, you just got to get up and do it. You either came here to get healed, or you didn't. You got to make up your mind, just do it, or don't. But don't come in here wasting everybody's time, because we need to be about kingdom business. And I love that. If we're going to be spiritual, then we have to be about that. Yeah. We can't just wait for everybody else to get spiritual. An eye for an eye makes everybody blind. That's why Jesus said, don't do an eye for an eye anymore. Turn the other cheek. Get spiritual. Alright. <laughs> so now, I'm going to read what Danny Silk said about it. <laughs> Danny Silk in Culture of Honor says, A spirit of gentleness is an important phrase. It specifically describes the heart attitude of the one doing the confrontation. Gentleness is the perfect term to describe the attitude we must have with those who have made mistakes or failed somehow. Gentleness does not mean nice, and it doesn't mean polite. The heart of gentleness is the belief that I do not need to control you. Excuse me. Those of us who know the heart of God must carry the reality that we will not attempt to control the person who is in trouble in every, in every situation or in every confrontation. This is the first and most important skill to develop, but it is also the most difficult. Um, this is why over the past month or so we've been talking a lot about honor and just kind of hitting that and learning how to celebrate people and be okay with everybody else's victories and getting rid of all the envy and jealousy honor creates a safe place where people can be free honor protects the value that people have for those who are different than they are and without a core value of honor we find that our discomfort around those who choose to live in ways that we would not leads us to shut down their freedom. The whole point of confronting someone is so that we can shut the enemy down and the person can experience what true freedom looks like. Alright? I love, um, in John, I think it's John 8, Jesus says for it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Or is that? That might be Paul in Galatians. Um, it's in the Word. Anyway, it's in the Word. I'm getting my Bible verses mixed up. The point is, when you look into the definition of the word freedom, it doesn't just mean free from bondage. It, it also means free to, free to run towards pleasure. Free to run towards something good. So the point of doing this is to make sure that we're all living in the freedom that Christ paid for. It's a big deal.
Um, the other thing too is that man, like, and this is this. Hopefully, this is few and far in between. Um, and I would advise you to really only do this when you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going I'm to talk about like the super practical ways later on. But in that quote, uh, Danny Silk addressed the fact that gentleness is all not always nice or polite. Only go down that route if the Holy Spirit is absolutely leading you to because the other person is so deceived, they're not hearing anything else. Um, I remember a couple weeks after we did the self-pity teaching, someone approached me and we went into my office um, and we were talking about self-pity in their life and how they couldn't get free from it. And it was like, for some reason, the fact that they were not their sin wasn't clicking And I was trying to be really nice and polite about it. And it still wasn't clicking. And God said, raise your voice a little bit. And I was like, "Ah." everyone else is over there in the other room. And he was like, don't worry, everybody else is worshiping. And I remember um, I started to raise my voice and it almost turned into a yell. And it was like that power behind it was what broke that self-pity so that he could see himself in the image of God again. Right? And so like sometimes, sometimes, not all times, sometimes, this is not a license to be aggressive towards a person, okay? Sometimes it is okay to get a little rough. However, God for the most part is a gentleman, so we're going to talk about better ways to do that. Hopefully. This is our first approach. You, we yell later. <laughs> um, ask questions first, then kick butt. Not the other way around. Um, <laughs> which brings us to my next point. <laughs> when approaching them, know that chances are they're deceived. The whole point of deception is that you don't know you're deceived. So you need someone to come up to you and say, Hey, you're deceived. Stop it. Right? Right? So they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. If you can realize this, that they're probably in deception and that they don't know what they don't know, then it becomes so much easier to walk in righteousness and help them get back to righteousness in that area because you're just approaching it as if, hey, you probably don't know this. That's okay. Like, you're better than this. Let's talk about it. Right? Once you've got that in your head and your heart, you can approach them and ask questions. I'm going to quote Danny Silk again. I told you there's a lot of these. Asking the right questions in the right way is one of the keys to creating a safe place. A successful confrontation depends on how safe those being confronted feel. If we ignore their need for a safe place, we set them up to act like defensive, blaming, unloving, and selfish people who are more interested in saving their own lives than cleaning up the messes they've made. We then completely miss who they are and blame them for their behavior, a process that respects the need for trust and honor will have an entirely different outcome because it allows them to be free. Free from control, free from punishment, and free from fear. And this is how we do kingdom confrontations. So what do I mean by this? One, be direct. When you're approaching somebody, and this is something that, that I, I ask pretty often when I see something might be wrong, 
I get together with a person, um, I'll ask them, hey, uh, there's this thing in this area of your life. Is it okay if I speak into that? Because here's the thing. If you just go around asking flimsical questions, hoping that your insinuations are going to lead them to the point that you're trying to get to, you're just being passive aggressive. And that's not kingdom. That's manipulation. That's control. Why not be comfortable just being up front about it? you got to be upfront about it. Right? Um, Going to them and being like, hey man, I've noticed some things that might be hindering your walk with the Lord and I've hurt other people, including myself. Do I have your permission to speak into this area of your life? It's easy. It helps diffuse so many things. Because if you can put it in that perspective where you're like, hey, this thing that's keeping you away from the Lord and is hurting other people, including myself, chances are, if they're really walking with the Lord or they want to walk with the Lord, their, their first reaction is, there's something that I'm doing that's, that's keeping me from, doing, from walking with the Lord and is hurting other people? Yeah, I want to hear more about that. I want to fix this, right? Um... <laughs> People don't generally like to beat around the bush when there's an issue. So don't dance around things because it's passive-aggressive and more often than not leaves the person more confused and trapped in their junk. Plus, that just proves you're scared of their sin, you're scared of the confrontation, and you're scared of how they're going to react. And it puts you in a place of being controlling and manipulative. It's not okay. Um, Asking the right questions directly, especially concerning permission to speak into somebody's life, will help establish trust and safety for the other person. And it will also diffuse a lot of defensiveness because permission has been granted to speak about that certain area. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't just go into the confrontation like guns a blazing, right? Um, When led by the Holy Spirit, questions will also get the person thinking and examining their life. Through these Holy Spirit-led unctions, the person will oftentimes figure out the root of the problem and the solution because as the Holy Spirit is giving you the right questions, He's giving the other person the right answers. To summarize, Holy Spirit-led questioning will stimulate thinking within the individual with the problem. It will allow the person an opportunity to do most of the thinking about the problem from the inside out. It will help the person tap into his or her greatness and put it on display during the confrontation. And it will remind the person of the things that they tend to forget about themselves in failure. And most importantly, it will demonstrate the covenant relationship between the two parties and allow the one doing the confrontation to remain an ally and not turn them into an enemy. So, that's a big deal. Um, We also have to find peace in the fact that they might reject us. But confronting them about the issue is worth that rejection. And if they reject us, that's on them. That's not on you. Right? Um... Verse 2 of Galatians 6 says that we're supposed to bear one another one another's burdens. I can't help anyone but bear a burden if they won't share the load. Uh, <laughs> and I can't help anyone 
bear a burden if they refuse to acknowledge that something is actually weighing them down. Matt, in two weeks, is going to talk about false burden bearing. He's going to open that up a little bit more. So um, be prepared for that. Uh, (laughs) The thing about asking questions is that love is first patient and kind. So we need to be that before anything else. And if someone is manifesting (laughs) self-pity, like we can't be scared of their sin. So if they're manifesting self-pity, don't interrupt it. If they're throwing a pity party and they just want to keep talking about their issues, let them. Let that spirit that's manifesting through them spill its guts so that it reveals itself while you keep a smile on your face. Because you see who they really are. You see what the Lord is trying to pull out of them. And you're not afraid of what's manifesting in them or around them. It's a big deal. And then once that spirit is done talking, you can speak to the person again and actually start fixing the issues. Um, James 1 verses 19 through 20. Does somebody want to read that for me? Go for it. Man, I'm at 57 minutes. James 1, verses 19 through 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Quick to listen and slow to speak. If they're spewing, let them spew, man. You don't need to be scared of their junk. I remember um, Savannah said I can use her as an example. So I'm just going to mention her name. This has almost nothing to do with her. But her and I were ministering to the same person for a little bit. And she was getting really frustrated because she didn't know how to get through to the person. And uh, the issue that Savannah was having was this person was manifesting self-pity and just talking about their problems. And Savannah would try to address problem by problem as it was being brought up. And um, then she like, I think it was her, I can't remember if it was her birthday or her anniversary. She like uh, turned her phone off and this person ended up calling me too. And it was great because I love this person with all my heart. And that spirit of self-pity just kept talking, man. And I just had her on the phone and just paying full attention to this person. And it just kept going and going and going. And it talked and talked and talked and talked and talked until it it, just, it couldn't talk anymore without talking in a circle. And then the person started to realize, oh my gosh, I'm talking in a circle because of all these problems. And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. I still love you. Can we talk about it now? All right, cool. And we, we started working through things bit by bit. And this person ended up calling into or texting Savannah later on and apologizing for the attitude that they were bringing to Savannah and not letting Savannah help them with their issues. If we're really going to confront the way that God does, we can't be scared of how people might be manifesting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jesus never was. Demon comes out of a man and has got this man cutting himself and, and scaring people in graveyards and stuff. And Jesus is like, ah, time to get rid of this stuff. Just go on. I'll wait. I'll listen. You know? We need to follow his example. Um, 
and this is this is another big deal, is when we're going into the confrontation with the person, we need to emphasize the power of belonging and support. It's part of hearing them out. It's part of asking the right questions. You, you are there for them, and you are willing to work with them so that they can gain their freedom. That's the whole point of this. If you confront someone about something with any other point besides this, that you're trying to help them find their freedom, then there's probably a heart issue that needs to be dealt with, right? Um, it's another quote from, King, from Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. Uh, He says, the process of kingdom confrontations is a process of empowerment, not dominion. When a person fails and generates a consequence for that failure in his or her life, the the confrontations lead and empower the person to clean up the mess. One of our sayings here at Bethel is, feel free to make as big of a mess as you are ready to clean up. This is not a flippant broadcast of irresponsibility. It is simply a message to everyone that personal responsibility is required in this environment. No one will be stuck with your mess. And no one will be able to clean up a mess you have made as well as you can. Our interventions are built upon an expectation that people motivated by respect for relationships, will respond by taking ownership for their choices and the consequences that come from them. This response is only possible when people know that they are free. They are free to blow the whole thing off if they want to. Only then can they choose to actually clean up their mess. Only then can they choose to honor and respect their community and their relationships. If we steal this option from them because we want to control the outcome, then we disempower them and we create powerless, irresponsible victims. Powerless victims never own anything and they do not change their circumstances. Therefore, our confrontations must carry the goal of empowerment from the start. Our process of confrontation will point to the consequence of their choices and offer strength and wisdom instead of control and punishment. I like that. Um, This is back to me again. This is not a Danny Silk quote. Uh, Me and the Holy Spirit. When we acknowledge how much people belong with us, Because in the kingdom of God, there is no us versus them attitude. Then we can successfully empower people to take responsibility for their actions. And the key component in this is trust. People feel like they belong. When people feel like they belong, then they feel like they can trust us. Right? That's why... Earlier, we're talking about questions and asking the right questions and asking permission to speak into somebody's life. Creating an area where they feel safe is so important. So, so important. Because then they have the choice to be vulnerable and it's a choice that they get to make. We're not forcing them into a place where we're pushing them back up against the wall and they feel unsafe. We're asking, hey, this thing, can we talk about it? And if they say no, that's their choice. They can say no and walk away. I've had that happen took me a while to work through it and now I would like to say that for the most part if that happens it's no sweat off my back they go live their life and that's just fine and dandy you know I don't have to worry about it anymore 
Um, however, that takes the process of learning how to uh, accept rejection without taking on rejection, if that makes sense. Um, Danny Silk goes on again to say, Kingdom confrontation is an invitation to strengthen a relational bond with someone. We must see the process of bringing an issue to the light as an invitation to practice our covenant relationships. It may appear that our priority is settling a matter or changing behavior, but in reality, kingdom confrontation is a test of a covenant between two or more people And that relationship is always the true priority. When we hold people accountable for how they are impacting us or the community around them, we expose the levels of trust we have with those individuals. When we test the connection between us through confrontation, we learn the true strength of our covenant with another person. Uh... The first communion we took as a body, I taught on covenant. Later on this year, I'm going to be teaching on all kinds of different covenants and what they mean. So it's going to be really cool. So if you have questions about covenant, hold on to those until later this year. (laughs) Um, However, I will tell you this. The people that I have had the hardest conversations with, whether about myself or about them, those are the people that I am closest to. I mean... Annie said true, so I'm just going to use her as an example. We had a hard conversation earlier during worship, and she cried a lot. Really, it was just her talking, but I sat and I listened, and I was there for her when she was being vulnerable. And there was confrontation that was had, and the Holy Spirit was leading her through everything. And all I did was nod and lean in close and give her a hug, and it was great because she was hearing God as she was working through everything, and I didn't have to do anything. And hopefully we get to that point to where we're all hearing God that most. However, you know, there are times, I mean, Kate and I are married, so we're already really close, but the more confrontations we have and the hard talks that we have, not that they happen very often because we're typically all on the same page, but when we're not, afterwards I feel closer to her than I did before. You know, um, Nathan and Noah have been people that I've been around for long, long periods of time. And I think I can confidently say that, at least on my end, well, I know I can confidently say on my end, I don't know about theirs, but uh, I'll let them speak for themselves. But whenever any of us have had to have hard conversations, I always come out feeling closer to them in the end. And um, discipling Joe over the past several years, I mean, Joe will tell you we've had com- hard conversations. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you speak your piece. I'm, you do that later on if you want. Because um, <laughs> we're recording. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I always feel closer after those hard talks. And so if we realize that this is a test of our covenant bond and through these confrontations we become closer in our covenant, then there really is nothing to fear because at the end of the day, if we're really listening to the Lord, we're going to be closer anyway, right? So that ends the portion of how to confront someone. I'm going to talk uh, very briefly before closing this thing up because it's been over an hour um, about some advice to those who are being confronted. (laughs) 
Because if we love each other, it's going to happen, right? At some point, it's going to happen. Um, so here's the thing. If somebody confronts you about something, listen. And when you reply, be as honest and vulnerable as you know how to be. Um, it could help bring you healing and freedom in the end and in the long run. Don't get defensive. <laughs> if someone is confronting you, it's because they love you. Yeah. Trust in that and let the Holy Spirit guide you and guide them. Um, if you're being defensive, <laughs> if you're being defensive, it's probably because you're in sin and on some level you know it already. That sin could be fear of the confrontation that's happening in front of you. <laughs> or it could be because you're actually in the sin that the person is confronting you about. However, God is your defender. So take what that person has said and really pray about it. You have the option to blow them off if you want to. But I would highly advise you and encourage you, don't blow them off. Hear them out. Accusation is the enemy. And if you are feeling confused or accused, I meant to say accused. If you're feeling accused, let the other person know, repent together, and start over. The goal is reconciliation, not division. On that note, I'll give you a little bit of a testimony. Um, my One of my best friends, his name is Jacob Gunther. He taught on an active prayer life here several months ago. Um, he runs our sister group Haven down in Norfolk. And there was a time period where there was a lot of drama going on between the two groups because, well, I won't get into the drama. There was a lot of drama going on. And because of some manipulation and control that was happening with the people within the drama. We were on two different sides of the spectrum. And there was one point where we were having a conversation over the phone. And we started yelling at each other. And I don't remember who said it. But this has been said very often in our conversations when we know that we're deviating. And, need, and we're not listening to the Lord anymore. We will literally say to each other, I think the enemy is in the middle of this. Let's repent of the accusation and start over calmly. Because I don't even know what point we're at or what we're talking about any, anymore. Um, and there have been a couple times where Kate and I have had to do that. Um, and so, if your goal is really reconciliation, take the time to address the elephant in the room when he's in the room. If the enemy is in the room, let's talk about it. Because we need to get him out of the room so reconciliation can happen. Amen. And my last point is, if, if you're being confronted, have an open heart and stay patient and kind. Because chances are the person who's trying to confront you is trying to remain patient and kind with you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you both have that as the beginning and have reconciliation as the end result, you'll get there. It might take some time, but you'll get there eventually. All right. So I've talked for an hour and 11 minutes. Um, about this thing. Do you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns before I pray and close this out?
question, but I, I guess you're just you're talking about confrontation within the body. Yes. Okay. I'm talking about this whole teaching is based around a biblical principle that Jesus talked about in Matthew 18 and in Matthew 5 about confronting mm-hmm. other people within the body of Christ, okay. your brothers and sisters. Um, <laughs> confronting non-believers is a whole other thing. And is a completely loaded topic. And the one thing I will say to that is Paul in 1 Corinthians references, uh, I'm meant to judge the body and make sure the body is coming into perfection. What right do I have to judge a non-believer who does not believe and does not claim to believe the same things that I do? You can still confront them peacefully and ask to speak into their lives. I've done it and it's ended up going really well. However, when I do it, I don't necessarily go into it saying, well, the Bible says this, so maybe you should fix yourself. They don't want to hear that. Um, However, (laughs) I mentioned this earlier today uh, when I was counseling somebody who is in counseling with an actual psychologist. They mentioned something and I was like, you know, that's in the Bible, right? Anyway, my point of the matter is when scientists... And psychologists come to the end of what they know and hit that block, they'll find a theologian on the other side of that block waiting for them to knock so that the door can be opened. And so I firmly believe that the Word of God is infallible. Everything we need to know about life is in there. And if it isn't in there, then the Word of God introduces us to the person who does know everything about life, which is the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. We'll get it. We got to get this first. Um, so you know, having said that, take take this what you learned here and approach non-believers like that as best as you can. Um, hope as much as you can because you love them. Uh, however, I would advise you not to be surprised if it doesn't go the way that it would with your brothers and sisters. Yes. So. I found this really awesome quote here in uh, in this book. Um, is it highlighted? It is highlighted, <laughs> but it's still good. If it wasn't highlighted, it's still good. Um, <laughs> I just I highlight my books because man. he highlighted it. There's more anointing on it. That's not true either, but it's just really good. But it says Bill Johnson often declares, "quote We owe people an encounter with God. We owe them this honor." Honor is given on the basis of who people are, not what they have earned or even what they need. Every person you encounter is one is one Christ has honored in his life, death and resurrection. The person may not know who he really is from an eternal standpoint, but we do. And we have a wealth mindset and a heart of honor. We will treat him accordingly. And when we have a wealth mindset and a heart of honor, we will treat him accordingly. Yeah. Like that. That's deep. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I have questions slash comments about is um it in my years these recent years um the depth of a relationship that you have with a person also lends itself to what sort of confrontation yeah that you will have with someone yeah um and what you've been through so i mean that's like you uh, i think it was scripture or something you were saying just that doesn't give you license and your freedom to walk up to somebody and be like you're in sin. It's like that person's been coming for two Sundays and you don't know them from Adam. Yeah. Even yes, they may profess a love for Jesus and whatever. If you've only had surface conversations with them, yeah. you that I believe does not give you the authority to 
to yeah. go and just pick that out because it also comes down to delivery. Like, you could be the most right person in the room, but the way you deliver a rebuke or correction or yeah. a confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. If you're the most right person in the room, you deliver it wrongly, yeah. you're still wrong. Well, I mean, that's the... That's that's making sure that you're you're actually honoring people mm-hmm. when they walk into the room. If you're seeing the image of God in them first and foremost, then hopefully you you have enough value. You value them enough to get to know them before you start pointing the finger. And it, it goes back to too what we were talking about about taking heed to yourself before you confront somebody about something. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that we needed to pull the log out of our our eyes before pulling the speck out of somebody else's, you know? And so making sure that our hearts are right going into it, and it's really hard to make sure you have a, the right heart towards someone if you don't know them. Um, and I'm not saying that, like, I've been called out prophetically going to conferences and whatnot, and people have just been like, man, I don't typically do this, but the Lord says, fix this thing in your life. And I'm like, okay, heard. I gotta go. You know, um, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that it can't happen. I'm not saying that you should never do that. I'm saying be cautious and wise about that, and make sure the Lord is actually telling you to do it. And on a practical level, like here's the thing: like I love the prophetic. We'll teach on the prophetic eventually. Activate a lot of giftings and anointings in that area. However. Uh, Eventually, prophecies will pass away, and then what will be? What will we be left with? Relationship with each other, mm-hmm. and why not? I mean, there's there's a place for the gifts. I love the gifts. Like anybody who knows me know that I love the gifts. However, if if you're just going to people expecting them to give you a word all the time, then you're not really doing life with them. Mm-hmm. You're not really doing family with them, mm-hmm. and sometimes the wisdom that God would have you give to someone else isn't based on a prophetic word that he's given you towards them. It's based on them coming in and asking. Like, God's not going to violate his design of discipleship and family. Absolutely. He designed it. Mm-hmm. And so, making sure that we're walking in that first and foremost before we go into things guns a-blazing is a big deal. So, yeah. Yeah, just a comment, maybe a question. Um, the, you know, it's amazing because someone in my life said once, um, said, Elliot, you have as much influence in people's lives as much as they have value for you. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think also, Every confrontation will, uh, should comes out comes out out of a relationship. Yeah. Right. And with non-believers, it's it's very, very interesting because we should honor people for two things: they're, because they create an image of God, and because they have every person has a gift yeah. from God. Yeah. You know, and I think it's all automatically puts you puts you in a place where you supposed to honor a person. Yeah. A non-believer. Yeah. You know, and uh, I love. That simple thing, that book, if you can put it in one sentence, is this. We honor people not because they deserve honor, but yeah. because we are honorable people. Yeah. You know? And it's so all of the confrontation, the way you approach person, comes out of your identity. Yeah. You know, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love that.
I like you. You should stay around. I know this is good. So, um, cool. Well, yeah, if nobody has anything else, uh, I'm going to close this out in prayer. And I know we've got several new people here. So uh, if you need prayer, if you want prayer, we like to pray. We like to prophesy. So we'll get it. Um, Abba, Dad, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And... Uh, we just thank you for this time that we got to have together tonight. We thank you for your glory in this room. We thank you for teaching us about healthy biblical confrontations, mm-hmm. how to go about them. Um, I thank you for the principles that your word lays out. And I just pray that you would continue to teach us how to honor each other and how to honor ourselves and how to honor you uh, first and foremost above everything. And so um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the questions. I thank you that you're getting people's minds ticking and turning. And uh, yeah, we just love you and we thank you and we give you all the honor and glory and praise in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.